Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, I'm thankful that you've taken time to, uh, to watch this or, or listen to this Bible study as we continue the series of the Unsaved Christian. And this has spawned a tremendous amount of email. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord. I think a lot of people that are uh, doing exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul asked us to do uh, in 2 Corinthians, which has kind of been our theme through this series, and that is to uh, you know assess ourselves, look to see uh, if we are really of the faith. And as, as Paul says, and we've talked about this for years in the Bible study, if you claim to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, that means God's seed has, has abided in your spirit. And, uh, and if you claim that, that, that the presence of God uh, lives in your life, do you see the evidence of it? Uh, and then he says, do you pass the test? And, and hopefully we would pass the test that uh, our lives seem to reflect the power of Jesus Christ. And it's all in him. Uh, but uh, as uh, I was talking to a group uh, this past Sunday night, had a chance to get with some men up in North Alabama. Uh, you know, we were talking about our study of the Gospel of John in here. And we talked about John 15, uh, you know, being branches that uh, are attached to the true vine. And uh, the word abide is in that chapter over and over and over again, meaning if you abide in Jesus, uh, then because of how powerful Jesus is, uh, he does produce fruit. So if, if we're not producing fruit in our life and obedience in our life, not to earn salvation, but, but as the result of the power of Jesus, if you're not producing those things, we've talked about this a lot, we have to come to the conclusion it isn't because Jesus isn't powerful enough to accomplish it. And uh, so this assessment has been hard, uh, but I think it's been important, and I think it has been used uh, uh, from what I've been reading in emails and conversations that I've been able to have. It's saving lives uh, because uh, we, we don't want to be delusional about uh, our redemption uh, or the lack thereof. So this has been an important study, and I'm thankful that you have uh, made it a priority in your life. This is what we're supposed to do. Uh, also, uh, just uh, some sh a few notes. Uh, I will be this Friday night if you're listening live, uh, and it is, uh, you know, this is, uh, what, what is today, the 21st, 22nd, 22nd of July. Uh, if you're listening uh, live this week, I'll be in Lexington, Tennessee uh, this Friday night uh, from themanchurch.com. Our discipleship strategy is being implemented at First Baptist Church in Lexington, Tennessee. Had a great time uh, doing the exact same thing, uh, having Man Church and starting that discipleship strategy last Sunday at Bethlehem Baptist in um, Hazel Green, Alabama, and this Friday night, get a chance to do that again in Lexington, Tennessee. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about that, go to BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, you can look there under events. So let's, uh, let's dive in uh, to what we have today uh, as we go to part 11 uh, of The Unsaved Christian. And today we talk about the watered-down word, uh, this inch-deep, mile-wide uh, version of, uh, of in this case, a Protestant uh, church in the American church, which uh, you can find these all over our country. And we're going to dive in to see, uh, is that me today? Is it people that I know? Is it the church I attend? And we'll do that assessing that Paul calls us to. Lord, thank you for today. We, we will be confronted by the truth of your, your scripture today. Uh, we'll also, uh, you know, be reminded again throughout scripture during this study about looking for false theology, false teaching, uh, and, and to be so uh, aware of this and so sensitive to this and so well-versed in your word uh, that we spot when your word has been altered, changed, or corrupted. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to hear this in, in the correct balance again today 
as you have uh, been accomplishing every week and help us to become the people that the Bible says we should be if we've truly been redeemed by you. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so this, is, uh, this chapter is actually chapter 13 in the book. It's uh, study 11 in the series. It's called The Watered Down Word Reaching Mainline Protestants. Last week we talked about the nominal Catholic. This week we're talking about the watered down word version of mainline Protestant churches and mainline Protestants. This is a, a great quote here from Tabidi Anya Bawili, or Bawile. And let me say it again. Tabidi Anya Bawile. I think I got it perfect that time. A powerful man of God. And here's what he said. Preaching that points everyone and everything to Christ, insisting upon his lordship and our submission, our repentance and faith tends to separate wheat from chaff and to make the unconverted uncomfortable. What a true statement that has been for us, hasn't it? Uh, as we've been through the last four years because we have gone to Scripture and we have found that lordship, submission to the authority of, of Christ, repentance of sin, and a faith of action, when, when we take these things and we've applied these things to our life, it does kind of separate the cultural Christian from the real deal. And that's exactly what he was trying to say. So the, the, the author of the book, uh, The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel, Pastor Dean and Sarah out of Tallahassee, Florida, uh, last week he, he talked about that he came from a nominal Catholic family, but he talks this time in this chapter more about his own personal testimony about uh, the coming uh, of faith in Jesus Christ. And the sad part about this, and this is why he's talking about in this chapter, the watered-down word of these, some of these mainline Protestant churches that, that are very seeker-friendly. They're an inch deep, a mile wide, or in some of the worst-case scenarios, they're, they're actually preaching bad theology or, or heresy. Uh, and he said that, unfortunately, in his personal testimony, he came to, fight in, he, to, come, in, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He had to leave the church that he was attending because he had to go to a different setting to actually hear the gospel because he wasn't hearing it in his local church. Uh, and he heard that at an FCA meeting. He said, I had never had someone tell me I personally was a sinner uh, who needed to be forgiven of my sins. I had never heard anything remotely close to the fact that, uh, that, that, if I had, uh, that, that, that God would not let sin stand against him. He wouldn't let any sin against God go unpunished and that I had committed sins, not just that were good or bad behavior, I actually was committing sin against a holy God. He said, I'd never heard these concepts before. He said, Jesus Christ was someone uh, I was told to emulate, that, that you know, I should, what would Jesus do? He said, and I certainly was, was taught to admire Jesus, but I was never told that I needed salvation that only he could offer through his death and resurrection. I was also never told if I failed to emulate Jesus, uh, what was even going to happen. And I was never told that if I was obedient or not, does that, does that, what? So let's say I'm not obedient. Does that matter? Uh, he was never told this uh, in any clear way. And he had to leave the local church in order to go and hear the gospel be presented correctly. And let's not forget this biblically. Uh, because remember, if we don't know Scripture, we've talked about this a lot, but it can't be said enough. 
if we don't know Scripture and we don't have it in our own lives, then when somebody says something contrary to Scripture, we don't know. Uh, do I have to do the Secret Service analogy again? It's one of the best. You know, they, they're always shown the genuine article when it comes to our currency. They're never shown a counterfeit bill because it doesn't matter if they know what a counterfeit looks like. In order to truly spot a counterfeit, they have to know what the genuine article actually looks like in every detail. And that's the same thing with us and our grasp of sound biblical theology and a sound biblical presentation of the true gospel. If you don't know that, if someone says something, and you know, I remember sitting one time um, uh, hearing someone talk, and, and there's just these little things that you, you, you catch, and there was a time I could not have called it because I did not know Scripture when I was a cultural Christian, and, and I think the person made a mistake. I don't think it's even what they meant. Uh, I think they were talking about sanctification, uh, but they made the statement while speaking, and they were just a guest speaker. They were not a pastor. They were just somebody giving testimony, uh, and they said, it's not like Jesus makes us fully righteous. Uh, and I remember going, well, no, that, that's actually the gospel. Uh, that, that, yeah, he, he, he does make it. And that, I don't think that's what they meant. I think what they meant is you don't get your act together all at once at the moment of redemption. And, and, and that, that's sanctification, and we talk about that a lot. And, and the speaker was right, but if I had not known a, the, the true presentation of the gospel, that, that comment would have just flown past me, and I would never thought anything about it. And that's the problem about being at a church that is an inch deep, a mile wide, and is more concentrated on being seeker-friendly than actually discipling people who've already been redeemed. Uh, so anyway, so one of the titles he talks about, if you want to know if, if you're in this type of church, there's, there's things to look for. Uh, is, is the Bible presented as historical or is it presented as mythical? Uh, and I, I was really shocked at some of the things he said had taken place uh, in the church, a couple of churches he had attended, he said, we must take this serious. We cannot allow teachers to be in leadership in the church who do not consider the Bible to be true accounts as opposed to stories. Uh, be believe it or not, I mean, there's, there's, there, if you don't pay attention, and this is one of the things uh, that I think churches need to be really, really aware of. I remember talking to somebody one time about how they vet out their teachers of their small groups in their church. You know, some of you may call it Sunday school. Others may call it our small groups or Bible studies or whatever you call it. This is when you're removed from the worship service and now you're in under the authority of a fellow church member or, or maybe someone else on staff and they're teaching you the Bible. And I know there's always a push to, hey, we need teachers, we need teachers. And this person was talking to a staff member and they had, they had brought to their attention uh, that there were some things being taught in the, in the Sunday school class they were in that were not biblically sound. And this person asked uh, the, the church member, uh, the staff member, uh, how do we vet out these teachers? To which he was told, well, if we, if we spend the time you're talking about, you know, making sure that, that they meet the criteria of what the Bible says a teacher should be, we're not going to have very many teachers. To which this church member replied, well, as opposed to having people learn the wrong thing, I think I just have bigger classes. Uh, I mean, it, it, you'd be better off to have bigger classes with highly vetted teachers than to have a bunch of these small groups with teachers you don't know whether what they're teaching or whether they have a grasp of Scripture. Uh, and so he said, we cannot allow that to go on, and he's 100% right. He said, uh, and, and where does this lead us? Uh, just because someone makes church enjoyable for people 
doesn't mean that heresy isn't serious. I mean, we, we, that, that's, not, that's not the marker. We don't say, I'll tell you one thing, I like uh, old so-and-so uh, who teaches our class because, man, he really makes coming to church fun. Now, he does you know, teach heresy, but we have a blast. Well, no, I, I, I got to tell you, we've got to start taking heresy serious because God does. As a matter of fact, he 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 does he won't let it stand. Uh, you look at the 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 apostles; they didn't let this stand. How many letters do we see from Paul saying, "We well, you can't let this go on. This must be taking taken serious." So he says, "We cannot have teachers that treat the Bible as if it's a large collection of fictional stories." And he he draws a line, and I give him credit for this. Uh, our brother uh, Dean and Sarah, he says to the church, and I agree. Anyone who says, I'm going to teach a class in this church, and I kind of approach the Bible as a large collection of fictional stories, but we're going to have fun, that cannot be tolerated. I mean, people's eternity is at stake. I mean, we have to take this extremely serious. So he tells the story about him, him, him sitting uh, and, and, and church and, and hearing what was heresy from the pulpit. And he realized when he, when he heard what the pastor was saying in the pulpit, he said, I, the, the main thing that was missing from this church that I was attending was the gospel. And, and he talks about this. He said, uh, we had a new pastor at our church. He, he made a comment during his sermon that made the other leaders' views about the Bible look like low-fat vanilla ice cream in comparison which means he didn't, they didn't like the guy that was there before, and this guy was only worse. His sermon that day caused my family to finally understand the differences were too significant for us to be part of the church. My, stad, my dad still refers to that Sunday as Second Chance Sunday. In the sermon, the pastor shared that it would be such a tragedy for someone to wait until they got to heaven to believe in Jesus and miss the blessings of faith here on earth. He believed everyone received a type of second chance to believe in Christ. My dad turned to me and whispered, did he just say you can wait until you get to heaven to believe in Jesus? He said, I heard the same words from the sermon as my dad. Being the fair man that he is, my dad wanted to give him the benefit of doubt, so he shook the pastor's hand after the service, and he asked the pastor if he meant the words he said. The pastor didn't hesitate to affirm his own sermon and said that he did indeed. His basic logic on this, God loves, is for everyone. Well, that's universalism. That, that, that's Rob Bell. That, that, that's, that's heresy. If you don't know Rob Bell, he's, uh, he is a, uh, probably one of the most famous heretics out there, and he's corrupting an, 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 is corrupting an entire generation of people with heresy. And this is that universalism that God is so full of love. Every, yeah, we're all going to be all right. Now, there's certain things you should do here on earth, and you should have some behavior and, and some things that are good and treat people the way you want to be treated. That's all good stuff, but your salvation doesn't depend on it. We need to be good people, and, you know, what would Jesus do and all this, but God loves every This, this notion of hell, and if, you, you know, if, you don't do, if you're not redeemed, you're, all, you're going to hell, and he's going to send people to hell, and, and, of course, we send ourselves to hell. You've heard me talk about that. That is out there, and it's alive and well, and you've got to be paying attention. I mean, I... I had something uh, even going on uh, with uh, one of my uh, kids that is, and it's not, it's, it wasn't anything bad because this this is a child that is really growing in his faith, but he didn't know who Rob Bell was. And so he had something that he was uh, 
enjoying and, and there were some things going on and I went to listen to it as we need to and it was a, like a podcast deal and I was excited about maybe even you know Sherry and I were thinking hey we might want to listen to that too and all of a sudden just in passing the person that was doing the podcast said I drove 17 hours to go hear Rob Bell so I'll admit a lot of what I'm going to talk about today comes from Rob Bell and I was like what did he say did he did he say Rob Bell and and I was like you know take that back rewind that and when I heard that, I said, oh, we're done with this. I mean, and, and then, but, but again, if I didn't know who that was or I didn't understand the teachings, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Love Wins book that he, he put out, then I would have just heard that name and just kept moving. Now, hopefully, eventually, I would have heard in this podcast what they're saying is not biblical. But uh, let, let's go to Scripture right now to talk about how important this is. If, if you have uh, a Bible or something with your Bible on it, I want you to go to First Timothy with me. And I want you to look at chapter 4, and we're going to read a, a verses 1 through 5. Uh, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, I've been, I've been looking at the Bible a lot lately, lately, anywhere it says end of things, latter times, coming of Jesus. Uh, you know, we want, to, we want to really be looking at those things uh, because we're seeing things going on in this particular country and around the world that are unprecedented. Now, that doesn't mean I know the timeline because I don't. But I do know that some of the things that we're seeing come right out of Scripture. And you find them around phrases like the end times. So listen to this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in, in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage. Hello? Do y'all realize the number of denominations that are starting to take God's standard for marriage and they're saying that God's changed his mind on this? We'll talk about this before we're done today. So we have churches that are telling God that the standard he laid out for marriage it no longer stands. So here's Paul telling Timothy, now when we get to the end times, you're going to see some of this. Uh, and he says, they'll also require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, this is the deal where they start hanging on to some of these. You, you're not supposed to eat these foods, and these foods you're not supposed to eat. That is not part of the new covenant. He said, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So here's Paul saying, watch out for these false teachers. They're going to start showing up, and listen to this. How many more times have we seen this? You're going to start seeing people also leave the faith. They're going to leave the sound doctrine. They're going to leave where they're supposed to be. They're going to start coming up with a new version of, Christ of Christianity, new versions of Scripture, and these will be deceitful people, and they'll actually be teaching the, the, the teachings of demons, and they'll be under that spirit. Now going down to verse 7 and 8, you may be more familiar with this, uh, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Stay with this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to, the, uh, to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those uh, who believe. Listen to this. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you uh, for your youth but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. 
listen to this, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and exhortation to teaching. And, um, and so what, what he's saying is you need to be training yourself in godliness. Certainly take care of your body. That is of some value. But if all you have is you're taking care of your body's health and you're not taking care of your spiritual health, all you have now is vanity. Uh, it says godliness is going to hold the key to eternity. And the reason why you need to train yourself in godliness like you would train yourself in anything that you want to get better at or anything you want to be prepared for, what do we do when we get ready to send people off to war? We send them to basic training. Do we just say, hey, appreciate you signing up. we got a war going on. There's a plane leaving this afternoon. You need to be on it. We don't do that. You know why? Because you don't put people out there without training. You, we're not going to spot deceitful teachings. We're not going to spot heresy in the pulpit. We're not going to spot false teaching in our Sunday school class if we don't know Scripture. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Now, if you're still in 1 Timothy, turn over to chapter 6, and I want you to go to verse 3, and we'll talk about uh, more warnings coming from the Apostle Paul. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that, ac that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. We'll continue to go. Uh, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in the truth, imagining that godlessness, godliness is a means, is a means. I'm sorry, of gain. Now there's a great gain in godliness, godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing. Uh, we can, we can't we cannot take anything out of the world. So he's saying, be careful for these people that are going to be out teaching these things. And he's talking here about the prosperity gospel. He said, look at eight. He said, but if we have food and clothing with these things, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that, that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I know that many times, and it's okay, we read this part of Scripture saying, well, you got to be careful if people out there are worried about wealth more than anything else. That's true, but don't miss what he's really talking about specifically. Teachers. People who claim to be uh, pastors, teachers, and he says suddenly they leave the reason they're there, and before you know it, they start taking godliness and try to turn that into a, somehow they can get financial gain for that. It's not just talking. It, it, yes, the root of all evil, evil is the love of money for everybody, but he's specifically here still talking about false teachers. I mean, that, that, that's a clear warning that the prosperity gospel was coming our way. And I think we can see the prosperity gospel, and I think we can understand them. But now these universal people, this universalism that God loves everybody, everybody's going to heaven, sin's not a big deal, don't worry about it, all that, that I think has become even more prominent than the prosperity gospel right now. But look what he says to Timothy, and he says to us in verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, if you want to go to the, uh, the, the second, go to chapter 3. 
And, and I think that's one of the things that, that we miss. Did everybody hear me say the word fight in Scripture? Did everybody miss that? We don't just let this go. Hey, hey, don't, don't. No, Paul tells us not to get involved in foolish quarrels. We don't need to get involved in some of the secondary issues and get inside of denominations and say, well, you know, we probably want to be sure we never have those arguments in front of lost people because uh, it confuses them. And we certainly want to have a unity on the things that we do agree on, and that being the gospel and, that, and, and making disciples and the advancement of the kingdom. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about that, that we do not compromise uh, when it comes to heresy. We do not compromise when people are teaching false doctrine. We do not compromise when some church says we know how to draw a lot of people, but we're drawing them with false teachings. We fight the good fight, and we demand that the purity of Scripture and the, and the purity of the right presentation of the gospel, anything less than that is not to be tolerated. And if you're in a church where that's going on, you sit in there saying, I just don't want to make trouble. You, you, it, yes, you, you should make trouble or leave. I mean, you, we, should, we, should bring, we should say, I can't let heresy go. Uh, and and we're, we're called to fight the good fight and demand that it meet the standard of Scripture. Of course, you can't do that if you don't know Scripture. And you may be learning something that is not the gospel at all. And, uh, and I've seen this happen many times where people have asked me questions uh, especially going through this series, and, and I've, I've come to the conclusion I don't think they've ever been taught the gospel, not, not the way the gospel is presented in Scripture. So, and by the way, we don't want it presented anywhere else. Uh, 2 Timothy, this continues. Paul's really driving this point home. Chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. But understand this, here he's going to say it again, say it with me, that in the last days, there it is again, there will come times of difficulty. Well, <laughs> In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Are y'all ready for this list? Anybody ready? Do you think we're lovers of self right now? We even have a picture named selfie. We're consumed with self. So he says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You've heard me make this point before, especially the guys that have been around me a long time. When people, you hear some of this, you know, sometimes you go into churches and, and what you're really hearing is it sounds like you've got a philosopher in the pulpit as opposed to someone who's, who's teaching scripture or somebody who's giving you some, some life choices that you could take and you feel like you've been sent to a, you know, a counselor or a life coach, uh, not you're being taught scripture. And uh, you hear this sometimes, you know, you just got to learn to love yourself. Hey, can I give everybody a heads up? I've been around depraved people and, I'm, and I was a depraved man who's been redeemed. We got no issue with loving ourselves. Uh, where, where we really need to, to work on is not loving ourselves so much and care more about others and ultimately care about the, the Lord and Savior that we serve. Uh, it, he's on record for how much he loves us. The biggest problem is, have you come to the conclusion on whether you love him or not? So he says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then he lists things, see if any of these hit home with you. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. I'm going to say that again. Unappeasable. You can't even find out what they want. What do you want? Cannot be appeased. Slanderous. 
cancel culture that we're in right now. That's the cancel culture. Without self-control everywhere, brutal everywhere, not loving good everywhere, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then listen to this. Having the appearance of godliness, but then denying its very power. We've talked about that a lot. You know what that means? I get up there and talk a lot about who God is, but yet when, I, when it gets time to talk about sin, I act like that sin's no big deal and God has no power over it. I talk about godliness, but then I act like it's never going to be achieved. You see this in a lot of reckless churches. I mean, I've gone to churches before. I thought, I guess you get saved and nothing really changes. So they talk about godliness, but then they deny its very power. And then listen to this. And this is, a, a, this is instruction from the Apostle Paul. You ready for the next line in verse 5 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy? Avoid such people. Hey, get up out of that church and go. In your, in your personal life, avoid these kind of people. I mean, it, it doesn't say, you know, try to be sure that you're not real close friends with them or don't let them in your inner circle or, you know, just uh, don't make trouble, but you might want to, you can get home and talk about the things you don't agree with. When it comes to personal relationships or somebody standing in the pulpit where you go to church, if you see somebody that talks about godliness, but then they deny the power of godliness, and, and you need to avoid these people, and then this same list that you just heard before that, avoid these kind of people. And if you don't see this as, 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 as the times that we're living in, then I don't know where you are. Did you hear the list that I just read? That's in 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 1, if you just want to read until you stop screaming out, I can't believe it's as if the Apostle Paul saw these times coming. And then he says um, that uh, if you have a chapter 3, let's go to verse 10 now as well, talking about where Scripture comes from and how important it is it's breathed out by God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and, and, and in, uh, in Lystra, where persecutions were there that I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many times have we said that in this class? Are you being persecuted at all? I mean, is there anybody that, that said that, that, has anybody ever come against you because of your devotion to Christ? I mean, do you live a life that, that is so separate from the world that the world hates it? And if you're, you're, you're not getting any persecution whatsoever, it may be no more complicated is that you're just not living a godly life. Paul goes on at 13, while evil people, imposters, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. To make you wise, 16, all Scripture 
is breathed out by God. Somebody say all, all scripture. It's not some scripture. So that's where you got to get careful with these her- with these heretics. They'll pick and choose scripture. Some of it's God breathed, some of it's not. Dangerous, dangerous. How do they know what's God breathed and what's not? But the Apostle Paul says in the very scripture that they're picking and choosing, in verse 16 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, we don't like that, for correction, we don't like that, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be competent. That, that he, 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 he may know the word, that he's ready to defend the word of God. Are you doing this? Are you doing this? I, I had someone ask me before, what, what's the first step I need to take to know scripture more? What's the first step I need to take uh, to, to, be, to be sanctified? What's the first step I need to take to grow and mature in my faith, to be able to defend scripture, to know scripture, to advance the kingdom, to disciple somebody, to mentor somebody? Uh, to, 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 to reach somebody for Christ. And you know what I say? It's not complicated. You just simply devote the energy and passion to it just like you do everything else in your life that you deem of value. I usually become pretty competent on things I care about. Now, but I couldn't just make myself care about Scripture. I had to have the seed of God come into my spirit and, and make it alive when I was redeemed. And when that actually happened, not a cultural Yeah, I never had a thirst for Scripture when I was a cultural Christian. You know why? I was lost. But when I I submitted to the authority of Christ and I confessed that I was a sinner and I confessed Him as my Lord and I submitted to His authority and I, I submitted to Him, I resisted the devil and I came near to Him, He came near to me. And it was faith, but it was a faith of action. And then something happened. I had a thirst for Scripture. I had a thirst for, for worship. I had a thirst for going out and telling people about Jesus. I didn't do it. He did. But then I, then, I, then I did what he said to do. Seek me and you'll find me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I started doing that. And then I'll show you how to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I, you know, I, I'm, work, I'm getting there. Things are changing. Why? Because I've got a new code of conduct and uh, some, some self-control that I came up with? No, because Jesus really is changing me like he does everybody who submits to his authority. And here's Paul saying, you got to be ready. And then you look at in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and buddy, do we have this going on too? It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Look at three, and we are here, and it's about what this chapter is all about. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into Myths, universalism, Rob Bell. These, these, there's, there's churches everywhere right now where there are people in the pulpits. And you know what people are saying? 
I don't know whether this person is teaching me Scripture because I don't know Scripture very well, but I do like what they're saying, and it makes me feel so much better, and, it's, and, I, and it makes me feel good. And I told you, one of my uh, friends and, and mentors that has helped me, great, powerful man of God, he says he's had people say that to him before after he preached a very hard message. Pastor, I want you to know I really enjoyed the message today. To which he replied, then you must not have been listening. Because there was nothing enjoyable about what we went through today. It was beneficial, like discipline can be, and, and the writer of Hebrews talks about that. Uh, I know when I started trying to deal with the gluttony, the sin of gluttony in my life, and and started saying, I need to exercise, and I need to do better, and I still got a long way to go, I cannot, I cannot think of a time that I went through a workout that I found it to be enjoyable. But I absolutely find it to be beneficial. And so we are here, and this is before us, and we have been warned. One final warning, and then we'll jump into the rest of the book in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2. By the way, the next study we're going to do in this Wednesday Bible study, we're going to walk through word for word, first and second Peter. Uh, so you'll hear this again. But second Peter chapter two, one through three. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Wow. This is very, very serious stuff. And the Bible warns of it, and it warns of it very clearly and powerfully in all the verses and others that I've just shared today. Sermons everywhere in beautiful sanctuaries that cannot be categorized as false gospels because, as Pastor Dean and Sarah says, we can't call it false gospels because, really, they offer no gospel at all. It's just nothing there. It's, uh, it's feel-goodism. It's, it's emotion. Uh, we sing songs that have terrible theology, and we preach messages where sometimes a Bible verse will stay up on the screen but is never really ever mentioned or walked through. And before you know it, it's a lot of, you know, self-help, uh, you're good, I'm good, we're all good kind of messages. The, 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 the point is we're not, we're not all good. I mean, we're, things are not okay. I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Things are going to be okay uh, for those of us that have been redeemed, but they're not okay. Uh, this, this world, I mean, how anybody can stand up in a pulpit right now and not say, let me talk to you about what's going on outside these doors. Here's what's going on. Here's what Scripture has to say. Here's who we're supposed to be in the middle of it. I, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's pretty important uh, that, we, uh, that we talk about the times that we're in. Because I think that there is a great opportunity in the mainline, inch deep, mile wide, watered down version of the mainline Western Protestant church is not going to do much good. Well, Rick, how do I know if I'm in one of these kind of churches? I'll tell you. Here's a, here's a list that Dean and Sarah puts together on page 158. Uh, here's some of the things you need to look for. 
uh, believes an evangelical Christian is extreme when, when it comes to faith. And I know that I'm about to show my ignorance here, and pardon me for that. You know, I haven't been to seminary. I haven't learned, you know, all the proper things. I've just kind of learned Scripture. Uh, I'm a little confused when I hear this word, evangelicals. What other kind of Christian is there supposed to be? If you go to, to Scripture, I understand it's a label. I'm not that stupid. And I, and I know, but I, I, I mean, that's that, that's that Calhoun County common sense C student thing in my mind raised by people who had a lot of common sense. If the Bible says go and make disciples, if the Bible says go out and to, uh, to every, every nation and to every part of the world to, and, and go out and tell them who I am, teach them all that I have commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So there's a version of Christianity that you don't do that? Are you, I'm a Christian. Are you an evangelical? Well, aren't we all? Am I just not understanding that? I, I mean, because I'm goofy. It could be. I just don't see in Scripture where Jesus says, now some of you will be evangelical, some of you will not. Some of you do not have to go make disciples. I do not want you doing that. I do not want you going out and, and uh, you know, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and keep your mouth shut about all these things I've commanded you. That's not for all of you to do. It's for some of you to do. Where Did I miss that in Scripture? Are you a Christian? You say, are you an evangelical? Yes. I thought we all were. So you'll see that kind of thing downplayed is, is if you're someone who actually makes disciples and and actually defend Scripture, you're an extremist. Uh, another mainline Protestant uh, thing to look for, admires the Bible, but does not view it as authoritative, especially on the matters of the day. This is the, uh, we've developed a new form of marriage, God's okay with certain sins now, even though Scripture says He's not. We like the Bible, and we, we, we certainly hold it in some regard. It's, it just doesn't have authority on things that are going on today. Look for that. It is more likely to conform to earthly patterns of behavior, but is, is likely committed to loving others. This is universalism again. You'll go to, you'll, you'll sit at the church, and the church will almost say, we, we don't want to get too heavy-handed on Scripture except for that part about loving others. We love that. Well, the problem is, remember what we've talked about in here before. Here we go. What did Jesus say he was? He, he was love, but he was truth. And you don't go... Love outranks truth, and truth outranks love. Remember, they're on equal standard. They're equal pillars. Jesus is love. Yes, he is, but he's also truth. Well, what's the truth? That we're all going to hell if we're not redeemed by him, which makes his love all the more wonderful because I just found out the truth that without him I'm doomed. Well, I guess he does love us. If I, if I don't know the truth, God loves you. Well, okay, doesn't everybody? No, no, you know what? God loving you is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Well, because you needed to be redeemed, you're going to hell. If he, if he doesn't go to the cross and he doesn't pay for the price on, on the cross and he doesn't, he doesn't go into the, the tomb for three days and, and walk out resurrected and ascend to heaven and is preparing a place for you, you're going to hell. Well, isn't that what I deserved? No. You, you actually deserve to go to hell. Matter of fact, we can go back. Do you know the Bible very well? There's one time in the Bible where God took all of mankind and, and reduced it down to eight. So, so it's a really big deal that God has said it's his desire now that none, no more should perish. 
and he's paid the price that was due you and me. Oh, so God loves me even though I'm a wretched sinner? You are correct. Well, now that is good news. Well, if you don't know the truth of the matter, it's not even good news. It's not even a big deal. No wonder you don't treat it with any, any, any kind of importance. Other thing you'll see in mainline Protestant churches, a lot of tradition views church as more of a formal occasion, usually very traditional when it comes to church preferences, often goes to the, uh, this, the person who's a mainline Protestant, goes to the same church as their parents and their grandparents and values the heritage of the church, though often treats it as, a, as separate from the rest of one's life. Love my church. I, I'm telling you, I've run into these people before. Buddy, they are, they are clinging to this church, and this church means more to them than Jesus does. You can't say anything negative about it. You can't bring up, I don't think that message, I don't know about that song. You can't question anything because, by golly, that's the church that their grandmama went to. That's the church their, grand, their daddy went to and their mama. That's the church they're going to. It's the church their kids are going to go to. And then you, know, you want to say, hey, that's all good. Do you think that, that this church went to the cross for you? This, this the denomination, this building, uh, this, uh, this, this pastor of all this heritage, you know, this, this, uh, this small group that you're in that you just love and do life together, do you think that's how, that, that's how you're going to be redeemed? Do you care that the church might be teaching heresy? Do you care that the church is, it may not be doing, may be making disciples? Uh, this, is church, this church is a tradition with our family. Well, you know what? Jesus needs to be your tradition, not that church. And if that church decides that they're not showing, teaching your family Jesus, then you need to get out of there. And, may, and you know, maybe it's not the same church that your mom all went to. Maybe they've drifted. So you see things like that. Also, we get to theology when it comes to the mainline Protestant. Claims a belief in Jesus Christ, but has little knowledge of the gospel outside of historic facts about the life of Jesus. Claims their theology is inch deep, mile wide. You ever heard that? Inch deep, mile wide. I'm familiar with the person of Jesus I got a little knowledge of the gospel. Uh, I know the history of that. I know what took place. But if you ask how this applies to my life, if you ever want to have fun, and I'm—I mean, I'm doing this for 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 people's own good because it happened to me. This is not, and this is not a self-righteous deal. I usually start this way. I'm getting these emails about this series. I don't know if I'm saved or not. You know what my question is? So tell me how you were redeemed. Tell me. You're saved because of what? You're redeemed. And tell me how that happened. And if they can't do it, no wonder they're confused because they're not seeing the fruit of it. You know why? Because it never happened. I'm, I'm one of those people. So I'm, I'm talking to me, but I think there's a lot of people out there like me. Uh, but I'm not that guy anymore. Not because, uh, uh, again, I, some newfound self-control on my part, because I actually found Jesus. And he changes me and continuing to do so. Uh, more bad theology from the mainline Protestant, often viewed as theologically liberal, but is usually more theologically agnostic if you really get down to it. People from mainline churches may not be sure what they believe outside of basic theism. Typically, the person in the pulpit is liberal as well. You see this going on a lot now. Uh, and we'll, we'll give you an example of this. We're running out of time, but I think I can get it. Uh, also, the, main, uh, the mainline Protestant, possesses a faith that isn't dependent on the gospel story, believes that Jesus died on the cross, but doesn't believe in the exclusivity of faith in Christ for salvation. You ever seen this person? You're a Christian? Yep. You believe Jesus is, uh, is the, the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me? That sounds a little judgy for me. 
I think that everybody finds their own way to God. Really? So, so God took his son, he took on human flesh, and he just went and slaughtered him on the cross, but that really wasn't necessary. I, I could have I just come up with something else. Hey, listen, the cross makes zero sense if God provided other ways for everybody to get there. That, that makes, that, there's no need for the cross. We would have just all done these other roads. That was the only way that, that we could be redeemed, period. I say that because of Scripture. But sometimes the mainline Protestant, eh, don't like the exclusivity. All this, Jesus is the only way, makes them uncomfortable, which means they probably do not know him. So let's get into some of the examples that we see of this. Um, um, uh, there's, there's a great quote here uh, in 1923, uh, and, um, and this, this, is, this is a quote um, concerning things that we saw happen with the, um, uh, with the Episcopal Church. I mean, this is, this is, this is relatively um, recent. In 1923, J. Gresham Machen, uh, Christianity and Liberalism, he argued that a liberal understanding of Christianity was actually a completely different religion posing as the Christian faith. This was in 1923. And so J. Gresham Machen says, anybody that takes Christianity, Christianity and tries to wrap it in liberalism, that really, a liberal understanding of Christianity is just a completely different uh, a completely different religion just shrouding itself and saying, we think we'll call ourselves Christianity. But it, but it really isn't. Uh, we know what happened, um, uh, and this is one of the things that, uh, that he said. Listen to this. According to Christian belief, Jesus is our Savior, not by, by virtue of what he said, not even by virtue of what he was, uh, but by what he did. He is our Savior, not because he has inspired us to live the same kind of life that he lived, but because he took upon himself the dreadful guilt of our sins and bore it instead of us on the cross. Such is the Christian conception of the cross of Christ. That's what I just said. It's not that, you know, hey, Jesus was a kind of a good teacher and he's a hippie and it's all about love and I think I'll try to live like the way he's living. Of course, we'll never do that. No, that's not what made him our Savior. That, he, that he, ha he's, he has some nice things to say. He became our Savior when instead of us being nailed to the cross, he was. Instead of us being uh, you know, removed from the presence of a holy God, he went and, and, and paid that price and fixed that problem that we have between a holy God and sinful man. That's what made him our Savior. And what you'll find in some of the mainline Protestant churches is they really love to talk about Jesus like he's a hippie philosopher. Uh, as opposed to our Lord and Savior. In 2003, the Episcopal Church in the United States was in a crisis. Um, a bishop in New Hampshire had not only left his wife, but he did so for a homosexual relationship. The Episcopalian churches that believed in biblical authority and therefore believed in the covenant of marriage designed by God between one man and one woman, they were troubled after realizing that reform was not an option within the denomination, which had drifted significantly to the theological left, many Episcopalian churches left their denomination and formed the Anglican Church of North America, placing themselves at first under the authority of the Bible, believing churches, uh, Bible-believing churches in Africa and Latin America. They joined that. By the way, even in the Methodist Church, do you know what churches in the Methodist Church would not vote for changing the standard of marriage? That was the Methodist churches in Africa. They wouldn't have it. And praise God for them uh, staying with uh, the standard. But the Episcopalian Church had a very similar 
run-in uh, back in 2003. Something significant was said during the denominational upheaval that, uh, that, that struck the author of our book, Dean and Sarah. This is going to blow your mind if you haven't read this yet. Realizing many churches in his own state would be leaving uh, because, of, uh, uh, because of New Hampshire's decision, one American bishop pounded his fist and exclaimed the following, Lord, forgive us for this kind of heresy. Are you ready to hear what a bishop and the Episcopalian church said in New Hampshire when there were people saying, if this denomination goes against God's covenant for marriage and his biblical standard of one man, one woman, we will all leave, and they did, and we will be part of another group of churches. We will not be part of this. Here's what he said. To those who were leaving, are you ready? Their God needs to learn to change with the times. Now, Dean and Sarah says, this is not rumor. He said, I know this because I was in the room when it was said. I was serving as a pastoral intern to one of the churches going through the process of leaving the Episcopal Church. I learned as a young intern that when biblical authority is neither established nor believed, the only possible outcome for the moral and ethical issues is that that God is supposed to change with the times. Can you imagine him sitting there as a young man hearing a, a pastor say that? Hey, it's just gotten so different out there, God. Your standard is so foreign to the world out there right now. You've got to get with the times, man. To God? So we're going to take God and say he changes with the times, not us leaving the times and clinging to him and adhering to his standard only? He this is that classic deal. We've talked about this Bible study many times in four years. Hey, be very careful when you decide that you are your part of any church that decides that they're going to start telling God who they think he should be. Hey, God, we want to make you something we're more comfortable with. you got to change with the times. No, no. No, no, that's blasphemy. That's heresy. That if you do not change, will not be tolerated by a holy God. He can't tolerate it because he's holy. No, what we need to do is to repent of our sins. We need to lay down at the feet of the cross. We need to look to a holy God and say, due to your holiness, I realize how wretched I am, and I am in need of redemption that only you can provide through your grace And I repent of my sin, and I say, please, Lord, I plead with you. Forgive me. And, and, and Lord, forgive me for the attitude and arrogance of me wanting you to be something that my flesh was more comfortable with. And change me, as only you can, into something that your holiness is more comfortable with. I can't change you. You've got to change me. But the arrogance that we see in some of the churches right now, telling God what he needs to do and that he needs to change. Machen writes again, it is no wonder then that liberalism is totally different from Christianity, for the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases upon the Bible both its thinking and its life. Unlike liberalism, on the other hand, It's founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. Ooh, that's good. 
That's good. It's no wonder then that liberalism is totally different from Christianity, for the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases upon the Bible, both its thinking and its life. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful man. If you'd like to detect Christless Christianity when listening to a sermon, and we'll close with this, listen to this. When listening to a sermon, it can, e it can be easy to adopt one of two postures. Blind acceptance, meaning you just give the preacher the benefit of the doubt and you question nothing because this is me, Ma's preacher. That's wrong. Don't do that. But also don't be a fault finder. Don't have a critical spirit where you look for every evidence that the person is a heretic. Both of those can be problematic. Instead, try to listen through a lens of a big-picture gospel clarity. What is the point of this message? What is the problem presented here? What is the solution given? And listen to this. Dr. I mean, uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah, and I love this, and I've taken this and applied it to me when I get to preach and teach. He said, in seminary, a professor gave me a piece of advice that has stayed with me. This is good. Pay attention to this. Never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the grave. Don't, don't, ever, don't ever listen to a sermon or preach a sermon that really that sermon would stand whether Jesus went to the cross and resurrected or not. That's probably uh, some self-help advice. It's, it's probably not biblical teaching. Never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the grave. So when listening or preparing Bible teaching, keep that in mind. It's possible for a sermon to contain nothing uh, that seems to be you know, explicitly, uh, explicitly uh, heretical on the surface, but it could miss the point entirely. Use questions like this below to make your judgments. Would this message still make sense if Jesus was just a good moral person? Is Jesus referenced merely as an example or as a substitute? Is his lordship mentioned? Is his deity acknowledged? That's a biggie. Is the point of the message self-improvement or deeper commitment to and trust in Jesus? What does the listener need to do after this message ends? Anything? Can I tell you a message that's usually not very good, one that doesn't demand a response? All the messages that God has used to help me, you know what I did? I got to change something. I, 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 I got I to deal with that. If I hear a message that never, I feel like, what's your response to the message today? Ah, nothing. Be listening. What, what is the point of the message? And what should the listener of the message do? Anything? By what strength is the listener to accomplish this work? Legalism, better conduct, or through the sanctification found in the Holy Spirit? What scripture is cited in the message? Is it read in context? Is it properly utilized to point to Jesus? Or am I the listener, the subject of the message? You ever had this before? One that you miss a lot when they do the David and Goliath thing? All of a sudden, we all become David. Hey, we're not David. We're Goliath. We're the one that's blaspheming God. And, 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 and see, what, 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 what Jesus is saying is, I, as David represents Christ, I can't allow you to blaspheme the one and only living God. But then what happens? We die. And then, and then we're redeemed. So, so are we the point of the message? Am I the focus or is Jesus the focus? Always look for that. 
most people, when it, when it, when it, in this research that was called Why Americans Are Fleeing Liberal Churches for Conservative Christianity, and I think that's good news. You know, sooner or later people realize this didn't do me any good. And a lot of people are fleeing liberal churches for conservative Christianity. And here's what um, uh, the author of the book, David Shiflett, said. He said, most people go to church to get something they cannot get elsewhere. This consuming public, people who already believe and who are attempting to believe, or who are attempting to believe, two different categories, who want their children to believe, go to church to learn about the mysterious truth on which the Christian religion is built. They want the good news, not the minister's political views or intellectual coaching. The latter creates a sprawling vacancy in the pews. In other words, they're leaving because the Bible isn't present, which also means the gospel isn't present either. Right now, uh, Barna is doing research on us being uh, in this COVID-19. A lot of churches are not meeting uh, a lot in person. There's a lot of online options, and they're great. I'm glad that's available. But they're seeing right now that there's already starting to show some signs that one in three people who regularly, and they said regularly, like once a month, and that's it's not even a high standard, once a month going to church, that one in three of them are not attending at all. They're not watching the online. They're not. They're not going into some place at social distances. They have stopped going altogether. And what the research is saying is the concern is even when we get back to meeting, will, will one in three of these people have come to the conclusion that the church meant very little to them? And usually if you're in a mainline Protestant church that is weak on doctrine, weak on theology, you, you figure out pretty quick it didn't have much of an impact on your life, so you probably don't return to it. But now if you're at a church that presents Jesus Christ, sound theology, biblical preaching, you're realizing you're missing that. So really, when we see what happens when the smoke clears, these mainline Protestant, inch-deep, mile-wide liberal churches will probably discover that as seeker-friendly as they may have been, people have learned to live their lives without them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message today. Thank you for um, uh, the opportunity for us to unpack uh, the so much scripture today that told us to be looking for these false teachers, be looking for these heretics. And you keep using the term today on the list of all the things that we should see, and we see these things in our society everywhere. You keep using the term in the, in the latter days, in the end times. We don't know what that timeline is, Lord, but we know we're closer today than we were yesterday. May we evaluate ourselves through the things we've heard today and ask the question, am I just living under some new religion that is shrouded in the name Christianity, or am I a devout follower of Jesus Christ? In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for being with us today. If I can help you in any way, you can reach me, Rick, at rickandbubba.com. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at burgessministries.com.